episode for you today we have with us on the show is filipino canadian director and producer joella caballu we are so excited to have her come onto the show to discuss her new documentary her film ode to a seafaring people featured at the seattle asian american film festival also at the disorient asian american film festival in oregon she will also premiere on the knowledge network here on june 3rd as the only Filipino story of the 150 film commissions. Congratulations, Joelle, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you talk about it. Wow. But, you know, before we get right into it, please tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and the story behind your new documentary. Certainly. So my name is Joella Caballo. I'm Filipino descent. I uh, immigrated to Canada um, 30 years ago. And uh, so the Lower Mainland has uh, been my home, the only home I've really known. Um, but uh, my background is quite complex. I was uh, born in the U.S., but uh, um, I didn't live there. My mom was on vacation. And <laughs> at the time, though, uh, my family, they were living in Brunei. So my, my folks were in Brunei and from Brunei, we immigrated to Canada. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting when people ask me where I'm from and I say the Philippines, it's not accurate because I've never lived in the Philippines either. So that's a bit of my, my cultural and ethnic background. Um, what I do now is I'm a documentary uh, director and producer for, this is like my eighth year in the industry. And I'm excited to be back in the director's chair after producing for some time. And to be, um, I'm so grateful that the producers of uh, Ode to a Seafaring People and the series that it's part of, Behind the Facade, the um, producers at Lantern Films approached me to direct this short, um, essentially about the mission to seafarers building at, on the port of Vancouver as a, as a way to talk about uh, Filipino seafarers and the local and kind of global industry. So, yeah, that's a, a little bit about the film. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, retrieving those stories like I know it could be very challenging like the these are people who are obviously traveling <laughs> and they be belong to these multinational companies you know can you tell us a little bit about how you're able to yeah connect with them and and feature their stories yeah you've you've kind of highlighted something that's one of the very main challenges of this film um to give you a bit more background like as you mentioned at the top of the show um Knowledge Network commissioned 150 stories to tell kind of the history of British Columbia. And Lantern Films, they produced a series of 10 shorts, uh, the series called Behind the Facade, and as a way to tell untold stories about BC's um, buildings and landmarks. And when they had approached me about it, um, 
one of the things that it was I kind of knew peripherally about uh, Filipinos being represented in the seafaring industry, um, but I didn't realize how kind of close to home <laughs> um, and what the mission the seafarers, uh, they are a global charitable organization that supports and advocates for the well-being of seafarers when they come to port. And they, in the port of Vancouver, there is... Um, they operate out of this prefabricated 1940s house, essentially. It's this vibrant blue house, uh, kind of really sticks out on the port against all of the vessels and um, shipping containers and cranes. Um, but uh, something that I also learned was here um, in Vancouver on kind of English Bay and Burrard Inlet, you'll see those tankers. And for me, I never realized like, oh, there's people on there. <laughs> Those yeah. are the seafarers and they contribute so much to our economy, bringing 90% of our goods, our food and clothes, um, but they remain so invisible to us. So the process, uh, it was to even begin um, was quite long because there was these other nine shorts in the series. Ode to a Seafaring People was um, one of the last films to be uh, shot, which was in 2020. I originally, when the Lantern Films approached me, it was around like late 2018. So it's like a really wow. long yeah. development period. And during that time, my vision for the project drastically changed. Mm -hmm. So it originally went from, let's try to find a seafarer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and quickly realizing the hoops that you'll have to jump through to get permissions from these multinational organizations um, that... Uh, know that they only come to port for you know a couple of days at a time to rest yeah. so it just logistically became like we don't have the the time resources to do that so during that period though we we did interview with people in the community that had connections to the seafarers to the port of vancouver um there was one woman that we interviewed who ran a restaurant um very close to the port and in the 90s and so when the seafarers would come in to town they would uh, be like essentially shuttled <laughs> to the <laughs> restaurant yeah. and um yeah, she, she would hear these stories about uh, the loneliness that they felt, the kind of the hardship of being separated from family from for months at a time, and also having to deal with this perception that as a seafarer, you're making tons of money, which I'm sure is true to a degree, but it comes at a great uh, cost. So we, I shifted the idea from trying to find a seafarer participant to then thinking about the, the parameters of the project. They had to be three minutes. So with the series, it's a, it fits into a half hour uh, slot. So each of the 10 shorts are three minutes long. So that kind of informed what, how I wanted to approach the short. So happening at the same time, I was working with directors who were really pushing the documentary form, being more innovative um, and experimental. And I was also really um, becoming interested in the thriving literary community of Filipino Canadians here. 
And I thought to myself that like, there's no way we can encapsulate so much history <laughs> in three minutes. Um, so one way is to invite the community, the Filipino Canadian community here to be part of the telling of this story. Um, so we invited uh, Saul Diana, a local spoken word artist who's Filipino um, and Scottish uh, d- uh, mixed descent. And, you know, sharing our research with him, um, he came back to us with something that was so beautiful and powerful. And the main kind of theme was uh, trying to convey the sea blindness that the the seafarers have coined. Like that's the first time I kept on hearing about it. This feeling that for the seafarers, when they're out on the tankers, on the shipping vessels, they can see onto the mainland, um, but they don't feel that anybody on the mainland, like me, anyone else here can see them. And, you know, that's quite honestly what my kind of experience was. (laughs) I'm going to cry. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, please continue. Sorry. I'm going to just sit and enjoy this, um, just resonating with what you just explained because it is a very lonely place to be in, but please continue. Yeah. Um, you know, I, um, I do want to get into that, like what what sparks that emotion in you, but, um, yeah, that was, that was certainly something that was like a, a, a through a thread through all of the research and interviews mm-hmm. we did I did speak to a former seafarer and um, just talking to to people in the community that had relatives and kind of these really complex things and also the um, the mission themselves because they advocate um, for seafarers is that uh, you know they they have a chapel they have concession they have Wi-Fi and TV <laughs> um, but one of the things is that you know, if they're suffering from any labor um, issues or human rights abuses, or just in general, like the the staff there are there to listen. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that was like a common. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Like, what was uh, what were you responding to? <laughs> why Why am I crying? <laughs> <laughs> Um, when I first saw you post about your documentary, I was compelled to message you. I, I direct messaged you because I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, somebody's actually doing a story on these, you know, seafarers or, you know, um, in, in the Filipino community, like in the Philippines, the Seamans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my uncle is a sea captain and he's been um, traveling, you know, uh, overseas for for years. And, um, you know, why I feel so emotionally connected to your film and so emotionally connected to the stories because I understand how lonely it is mm-hmm. and, and how trying it is. And um, it reminded me of this article that I did read uh, from New York Times mm-hmm. and it's The Lonely and Dangerous Life of the Filipino Seafarer. Um, it says here, the Philippines for decades has supplied the largest share of labor on the world's cargo ships. Mm-hmm. So for years, um, in the same way that I feel like Filipinos are invisible in different sectors, in different industries, even more so, you know, these, these travelers, these seafarers, um, they are, they, uh, they go on board on ships for months 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go a year to over a year of not seeing their their children, their families. Um, they are obviously celebrated when they come home, but there is always that you know yearning for them to come home, and understanding kind of their mental space and that their longing for their family and their longing to be on land. And you know when you mentioned um, uh, sea blindness, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you mentioned sea blindness where, okay, well, the people, the people here won't see us. They don't see us. We're the ones transporting all of these um, needs, um, you know, on cargo ships. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're, we're the ones risking our lives. And um, I guess it's that same kind of feeling where, you know, how come, uh, how come us Filipinos are always the ones who are forgotten or they're, they're not seen in the same context that these seafarers have felt so that is partly why I'm, I feel so emotionally connected to your story to the story that you have produced so thank you for for that work and to make it creative and also very collaborative with the community bringing Saul in to really you know break it down and share it in that in that medium that's amazing um, so yeah I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that collaboration you know in, in uh, any more context and inspiration and research that Saul was able to kind of work from to really get it to where you needed to be? Yeah, um, firstly, like, I'm, I'm so glad that um, that it's resonating with you. And, and likewise, when you messaged me on Instagram, I was just delighted. I'm like, yes, this is who I want to make this work. Um, and what you're speaking to... Um, it was a way to also address like, yes, as you say, like the many other sectors um, in, you know, locally in Vancouver, but globally where Filipinos are overrepresented on the front lines in caregiving work and um, overlooked. Yeah. And, um, the, and also the narratives that are out there in the media of Filipinos. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, these are the, the true authentic experiences but it's so much focused on the trauma and the and the pain and for myself like that is that hasn't you know I haven't um experienced migrant work or overseas work like this and wanting to with this approach with the film was like wanting to show like the multitudes of how Filipinos exist yeah so so featuring Saul um and inviting him to write this original poem. He, I don't want to give too much away. But, of course. <laughs> but in- And I give him a little, you know, like say, yeah. but you guys want, well, actually, you know, go check it out. <laughs> We're not going to spoil but, it. <laughs> but part of, um, sort of, in a way, kind of my silent activism, um, thinking about where this film was going to live and who it's commissioned by. And like, as she said at the top of the um, show, that it's, I'm pretty sure the only Filipino story in this 150 um, stories in thinking of media representation, I just, I really was compelled to invite the community to showcase contemporary, and I say that with air quotes, (laughs) um, the, the many different types of Filipinos that live and are thriving in the lower mainland in BC. So inviting them to be part of the process as well. Yeah. Um, it was something that I, I really wanted to, with my producer, Jessica Hallenbeck at um, 
Lantern Films to really root this in the community, um, that they are also part of it. Because so many of the people that I spoke to, um, academics, um, authors and poets, they were unaware of this history as well, just as I was. Mm. Um, so trying to find this, like, how can we make this connection to other Filipinos who are, like, spread out throughout the diaspora mm-hmm. um, to find, to, like, show solidarity in that. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was part of our process. And with Saul, it was essentially a lot of discussion. We just presented him. This is the research we found. Go yeah. do your thing. Like, go do your magic. And, um, yeah, he really crafted something really beautiful and powerful. And um, there's one line that is uh, is... It, it really encapsulates that again the sea blindness. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it says something to the effect of like it's um, it's a marvel how we make ghosts out of the living, mm-hmm. and that line I feel can be you know transferred over to so many of the other um, sectors of that Filipinos are overrepresented and not um, you know cared for or. Um, you know, the government kind of takes advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, we also do it to ourselves, you know, to be honest. Um, we, we we let ourselves kind of be put aside sometimes mm-hmm. and we don't speak up and, you know, but uh, we forget we have this power in numbers, like we're, we're the largest immigrant group there mm-hmm. is, but yet there is this great imbalance and great disparity of representation in terms of our stories and different layers of stories, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, right? We're, we're more than also the frontline workers. We're also creatives. We're also, mm-hmm. you know, poets. We're, mm-hmm. um, I celebrate you and Saul because you guys are also an example of Filipino excellence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really striving to continue to highlight this part of our story that people aren't aware of mm-hmm. uh, highlight the story that people may not have known at all yeah. just like what you mentioned like <laughs> the other parts of our community were surprised mm-hmm. but, is, um, but that's why it's great that's why you know there is this medium like this where you uh, you guys are able to put attention into that and yeah. um and really share it more um in a meaningful fashion so i will sorry just to interrupt like just yeah. to respond to what you're saying that like i think um I've been reading for a research for a new project, also looking at some Filipinos um, in Canada. But uh, in my research for that, I've been speaking to a lot of first gen, second gen uh, Filipinos and thinking about racism and internalized racism, Mm -hmm. this desire to align yourself with whiteness and also a fear of it. I, uh, in some ways, at least this is my been in my experience, sometimes like I doubt myself, like, you know, it's taken me a long time to even have the confidence to pursue something like this, where mm-hmm. I am the actual leader. <laughs> um, but so, so often I wonder, it's like, oh, is there something wrong with me that I'm not able to excel or, um, but uh, it's, only in recent years that I'm able to name like, no, it's this larger system of white supremacy and colonialism and capitalism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's no wonder why we're gaslighting ourselves. (laughs) Right. So we have uh, a lot to, um, there's a lot that's not in our favor and it's no wonder that's, that's a kind of a reality for a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a lot to unlearn, especially if the that is how we've been conditioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you realize, you know, that you need to unlearn a, a behavior that you weren't, uh, that you didn't think that you had, but now are awake to to acknowledging that, oh my gosh, it's the way that's been built. It, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, like you mentioned, internalized racism, the way that we gaslight each other. It's because of all of this type of mindsets that we have developed through colonial mm-hmm. influence, through capitalism, mm-hmm. through white supremacy. And uh, and what I'm excited about is uh, more and more people are starting to think of their lives critically. Uh, more and more people are open to this conversation. Yeah. More yeah. People are definitely um, embracing, you know, let's, let's unlearn together. <laughs> let's, you know, like we, we have some things to worry about and uh, we have some things to work out and, you know, let's, let, let's do this together. Let's have some grace and patience mm-hmm. for each other. Cause um, we're all coming into this, um, this consciousness you know, one at a time um, at the right time in whatever stage in our life. Yeah. And so um, it's so yeah, thank you for sharing that because that is very true. You know, you don't realize it, you do it to yourself. And it's mm-hmm. like, wait, hold on. I learned to be like this and I learned to learn like this because of you know what I was conditioned as and right. what, you know how I grew up as, you know. Yeah. And it sucks because it can get to a point where we hate ourselves. Mm-hmm not only as an individual, but as people, like we, we hate our people. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that obviously we are going to change and by sharing more and more um, knowledge and information and support for yeah. each other. So, you know, we're going to dive, uh, dive in a little bit about that. You know, I guess it sounds like you are also in the journey, in the discovery of your cultural identity, just like mm-hmm. myself and many others. How has that been for you so far? Yeah. <laughs> It's, um, it's, I bet it's overwhelming too, because it can be like a lot all at one time, right? Yeah, so I feel like it's, it's, I feel like it's just been happening, you know, I'm like 36 now and it's mm-hmm. only happening in my later adult years when mm-hmm. I'm really um, thinking about it creatively and, you know, and I think it is in tandem with me um, transitioning into the documentary um, field and learning so much about different uh, communities and how to approach filmmaking and storytelling with care. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, get, I suppose, you know, on a personal level too, I'll just be frank that like my own kind of mental health um, struggles has, you know, led me to seek counseling and like really think about all the stuff that we're talking about. Like, is that, is that something that... <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we highly encourage that because, you know, like uh, for for many other Filipino children, your parents like tell you, like, don't talk to anybody. Don't seek counseling. It's like, no, I need this therapy. I need this counseling. We have our own things to work through and we need the support and the help from somebody else to guide us through that. Right. So amazing. Great job. Yeah. Thank you. Well, one thing I'm, I'm just learning too is like with, um, you know, the whole process of migration, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, having empathy for my parents, but also for older generations that um, I know a lot of my peers will have struggles with their, with their folks is um, having compassion that like, that's hard. And that 
is traumatic in and of itself, and that has um, impacts on their children. And, you know, you talk about this intergenerational cycle of pain, um, yeah. and you, you don't even realize it. In one of my research for my newest film, um, one of the interview participants mentioned that, like, for them, they thought that was this toxic kind of behavior was part of Filipino culture. Oh no. <laughs> and that, and that for him, his learning unlearning is that like, no, that's not, that's yeah. not our culture. Yeah. Yeah. That is the result of, you know, trauma and pain. Mm. Um, so trying to separate that out. And I think there's some, um, uh, you know, not only in the Filipino community, but just newcomers, people who migrate to a new country, that's, you know, a lot to contend with. Mm -hmm. Um, and to consider that, um, in terms of like how they see themselves and how they relate to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lifelong thing I find. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. Like, just like, you know, the way that we continue to learn about ourselves, it's it's a continuing ongoing journey. So I wanted to, um, jumping off of that. So you're obviously doing some research into that, um, for, I guess, an upcoming project, um, I want to switch it back to you becoming a leader in this space and obviously, you know, um, learning more and more in terms of how to tell these stories with care. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about representation, Filipino representation in your industry? How often do you come across other directors, producers, you know, people who are um, definitely decision makers in, in, in storytelling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I, you know, I still feel like there is still a great uh, lack of representation. So I don't know if you know any more about that or if you could speak about that. Please tell us. Yeah. Yeah, with um, with representation as Filipino representation, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind, it's more of like um, an amusing thing that when people tell me like, oh, you should meet this other Filipina documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And before they even have time to finish, I'm like, oh, you mean Cat Jamie of Finding Big Country? Oh, like, yeah. yeah, we're like friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We already know each other. Um, and uh, so that just makes the pool quite small if mm-hmm. you think about um Filipino Filipino women documentary and then um, filmmakers yeah. and then like in Vancouver the pool is smaller and so I'm I'm so delighted to always meet other people if, even if they're emerging and who are interested in this field because you know I, I certainly do not want to have a monopoly over this <laughs> as like the Filipina <laughs> from Vancouver like yeah yeah um I would love to have like a thriving community of just different voices and perspectives because even between me and, and Kat, we have very different um, backgrounds Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm an immigrant. I came here as a child and she was born and raised here. So Mm -hmm. already our, our perspectives are, are different. And so that makes me excited for, for more Filipinos to Join us. <laughs> yeah, get in there, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I feel like there is this momentum, um, and it's uh, within Canada. Like I'm always kind of keeping my eye out um, for other uh, Filipino creatives, and 
I think there's just a kind of disparity between, you know, always comparing ourselves to the U.S., but just because yeah. just in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. So I, I find like I'm, I'm kind of looking to the U.S. Um, for that kind of community and solidarity as well within the Filipino community. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even for us too, when we reference um, a lot of a large number of our listener bases is based in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, I do look to them a lot because they do have like a generation or two ahead of us, right? So if there's anything we can learn from them on their challenges and how they were able to break ground in certain places um, and mobilizing together mm-hmm. um, and working collaboratively as a, you know, as a community, that way we could see each other, see more of each other in the same spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really, really exciting. And um, yeah, I'm just hopeful, obviously more and more with our generation, the next generation to come, there will be more filmmaking there will be more storytelling well I'm gonna ask actually what compelled you to enter this space like what you know where did it come to you where you know what I want to be a filmmaker like I want to tell stories like what where did that start yeah um I always have loved films and movies and um, that was a, a kind of an activity as a kid with my family to go to the local family run video rental store and rent three for you know rent three get one free or something like four movies how are we going to watch four movies on a weekend but blockbuster (laughs) yeah exactly um so it started at a young age and I was just really enamored with movies and like how they were made and um and you know even my first film I went to a film camp when I was 15 years old to Galliano Island um, film and television school, and um, with a, with other girls, I made my first very dramatic, angsty teen short film. <laughs> um, but it was, so it's such an early age, and it's something from like 15 years old to when I was going to go um, declare major at uh, University of British Columbia. I had intended to do a degree in or wanted to major in film studies. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's upon reflection, um, that question about representation, I mm-hmm. you know, kind of gaslit myself of like, you're not going to be successful at this career. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, what I thought you needed to be in order to be successful was like, you need to be aggressive, you need to be assertive, and you need to be a man. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me at that point, it's like, yeah, I don't know any women directors, let alone Asian or Filipino um, women directors. Um, so it took a back seat and I did an art history degree, which I love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my, my path is very circuitous. It wasn't until like my late 20s, so almost a decade later, <laughs> um, when I finally saw the first woman director that was not out of Hollywood locally, uh, Toshimi Ono. Um, I saw it at a film festival, the women, the Vancouver International Women's Festival. And she was this uh, middle-aged Japanese woman and she had directed her first feature documentary. And I, yeah, I was astounded. Like, wow, if this woman can do it, certainly I can do it. Yeah. And <laughs> I applied to the same school that she went to, which was Langara um, 
college for the documentary production program. And so, yeah, I think that was, that was a pivotal moment for me. Um, it also helped that uh, the job that I was working at, the nonprofit, uh, went through a restructuring. And that also pushed me to ask myself, like, what is it that I want to do with the rest of my life? <laughs> and, you know, having seen Tashimi, this major event in uh, kind of my career at that point, it's like, I'm going to go back to school for filmmaking. This is it. <laughs> Joella, I don't know if you're, if you realize this, you could be somebody's Tashimi one day. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, no, because, you know, um, earlier when I went to go uh, speak on CBC radio, we were talking about representation and, you know, as, uh, as one of the panelists, we talked about, okay, well, why is it important to have more of this representation? It's because we need more role models to mm. up to to lead um, and 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 tell everybody and tell the younger generation like, hey, you know what? They did it. I can too. In the same way that you're inspired by Tashimi, mm. you know, I bet somebody out there one day is going to be like, oh my gosh, I was inspired by Joella. So thank you so much for, you know, pursuing that and really just leading with your heart because in the end, you know, it, it does become a major impact whether you realize it now or not, or maybe I'm just speaking it into existence now. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate but it, that. Thank you. Yeah. With you and Kat, like, you know, that you guys may be the two right now for now. Right. <laughs> but then the thing is it, it becomes um, a domino effect mm-hmm. to inspire others, inspire eight other young Asian filmmakers, um, uh, young Filipino women mm-hmm. filmmakers. So that's amazing. So yeah, thank you guys for continuing to lead the way. Um, and when you really pursue um, your passion and um, yeah, we see more of our stories out there in the world and we see each other thrive and we're just so excited to support you. And um, yeah, and now you're, we're, we're able to see your um, vision come to life um, yeah. in Knowledge Network. So that is actually a really great um, segue to <laughs> the show. Uh, please tell everybody where they can find you and where they can also find your films and where they can find um, yeah, a lot of your work. Yeah, so for, for Ode to a Seafaring People, um, it will air on Knowledge Network on television, a good old classic television, as well as online uh, at Knowledge Network. I believe it's knowledgenetwork.ca. You just have to sign up for a free account and you'll be able to watch O2C Faring People as well as the other nine shorts in the series Behind the Facade on Thursday, June 3rd at 9 uh, p.m. Pacific time. And they're going to be available across Canada um, and continue to play on Knowledge Network for many years to come. Because, um, yeah, Knowledge Network doesn't have commercials. Mm-hmm. So they they use um, short films as like interstitials. So um, you'll see Saul in his in his poem <laughs> every now and then. Um, but uh, for my other films, you can go to my website, joellacaballo.com um, to check out uh, the other films that I've directed and produced and watch them from there. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at joellacaballo.com. Fantastic. You know, my last question, 
Um, yeah. What is your hope, you know, for, for the Filipino community? What is your hope for more Filipino filmmakers? And, and what is your hope for more Filipino stories being out there? Mm-hmm. I think like what I was saying at the beginning, it's just to have more perspectives and more, um, I'm, I'm really excited to see other people's artistic um, approaches to different kinds of topics and that it's, uh, you know, I think this is kind of curse and blessing of being a racialized filmmaker or creative that mm-hmm. we focus on our identities and our communities, but to have the, the freedom to really create anything that you want. <laughs> Um, so I, I really am looking forward to that future and it's happening right now. There's already so many really creative, um, filmmakers in, in the Filipino community, uh, locally, like I will just like name drop people. Um, there's producer, uh, Phil Planta, who's mm-hmm. also known as a godfather. He's helped a lot of people's, um, careers uh there's josh aries who does this really fun entertaining action movies like that's something that i would never do but i'm so glad that he's doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and uh even kind of across the uh, the way um, on, in Toronto, other documentary filmmakers, Sasha Nakai, um, musicians, Romeo Candido. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all people that I look up to and I would love for more folks to lift them up as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. It was such a great pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you again, Joella, for joining us on the show to speak about her new film, Ode to a Seafaring People, revealing the often hidden world of Filipino seafarers, and in doing so, celebrating the resiliency of the Filipino community. We are so excited to continue to share more Filipino stories with you, stories that matter, stories that bond and connect us together. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Filipino Fridays Podcast. We'd also like to thank our partners, Tater Corner BC and CITR 101.9 FM for continuing to support this podcast. If you are on Filipino time, make sure to catch us on CITR 101.9 FM every Monday at 11 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Archie. Let's get it. (music) 